This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday edition, which is the day that we have the pleasure of entertaining your questions and uh, the one day a week that Mary Langston takes my call, um, at least for now. Um, That could change. We'll see if she's on the line. Mary Langston, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Thank you for having me. Well, you were my number one draft choice, so <laughs> at least you. for now. At Thank least you for, for now. No, you're welcome. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with you. All right. Well, how are you, Trey? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Yes, it, sir. It was, Any uh, sports? Well, the University of South Carolina Fighting Gamecocks went <laughs> to Lexington, Kentucky, and and I can hear my. I can hear my Kentucky friends right now reminding me that their starting quarterback was out Saturday night, and that is true. Mm-hmm. He was. South Carolina also uh, has a number of starters out, not the quarterback. So uh, Kentucky's a really good team. They probably you know, could have and maybe should have beaten Ole Miss, but it's a road win in the SEC, and I'm really happy for Shane Beamer and – in South Carolina, Alabama had a very, very, very close game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas won. I could not watch it because uh, my nerves were not good, uh, and I was on air. That's true. And other than that, I've been watching golf. Uh, there's a tournament in Florida for college players, men's and women's. I've been watching that. And pretty much just trying to avoid work and avoid uh, (laughs) non-sports related interactions for the most part. How about you? (laughs) Well, thank goodness for your updates because, you know, I have not been keeping up with it the way I should. So thank goodness for you and my two brothers. Is there something more important in life than (laughs) sports? Because I do wonder what 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 you're doing if you're not following sports. Well, I just need to take the time to to do it. But. Like I said, thank goodness for y'all. You keep me updated. Do you even have a favorite team or do you just want everybody to be happy and get along? Um, Probably the second part of that. Although, you know, if you have a team you're rooting for, like the Cowboys, I will gladly cheer for them. My brother likes the Jets. I just found that out. So now the Jets is kind of up there. Your brother likes the Jets. He must be a miserably <laughs> unhappy person. He said there's some player, you may be familiar with the player, I'm not, he mentioned the name, but I totally forgot, which is terrible, Um, but that's why he chose the Jets, and he's got a shirt and everything that he wears when they play, so that's Zach Wilson, the quarterback? I'm not sure, that's a good question, I will find out for next time we talk. (laughs) 
Okay, well, I I don't know how you navigate life without watching sports. <laughs> you seem to be doing it pretty well, but I, I just uh, you got to let something take over your entire existence and threaten relationships and threaten <laughs> meeting all of your familial and societal obligations. And what's better than sports to do that? <laughs> Well, we'll leave it at that, Trey. We have a lot of great questions today. Are you ready to get started? I think so. I hope okay. so. Okay. I hope so too. We appreciate you all for sending us your thoughts and your questions. Our first question comes from Jeff in Florida. He writes, the Florida ballots have arrived. How does a citizen make an informed decision about retaining a judge or justice? Well, Jeff, you put your finger on something obviously all federal judges are picked the same way, but state judges um, are picked probably 50 different ways. We don't have elections in South Carolina. Our judges are picked by the General Assembly, which is our House and our Senate, and they're for either six or eight year terms, and they have to run again for reelection. But I take it from your question that in Florida, the judges are elected popularly by the voters, and you want to know how do you make a good decision? Uh, and that's a great question. There are some qualities everyone, I think, should be looking for in a justice or a judge. Uh, fairness, knowledge of the law, judicial temperament, you know, how you treat litigants and court personnel. Um, I've been lucky. I haven't had, uh, I haven't had many judges uh, at all that had really bad courtroom demeanors. A uh, very, very, very few. Um, but it makes a difference, um, you know, how you treat folks from the court reporter to the to the clerks, to the lawyers. You know, I'm not saying you got to be super nice. If a lawyer makes you mad, you can certainly let that lawyer know that. But um, the road cannot get too heavy. You cannot become something different simply because you have on a black robe. So I'm looking for all of that. And beyond that, I'm looking for trial judges that have real courtroom experience. And I'm looking for appellate lawyers. And just so people know the difference, trial judges, you think of a trial, you think of litigants and a jury, although you can have bench trials. For the most part, you're thinking about a jury. That's what we think of with a trial. Appellate judges, there is no trial. Uh, you are primarily making decisions about law. And that would be the Court of Appeals. That would be the Supreme Court. I mean, they don't have trials in the U.S. Supreme Court. There's oral argument. The trial's already done. You're just trying to see whether or not there were mistakes made. So I'm looking for slightly different qualities in trial judges than appellate judges. But for the most part, um, fairness. Uh, do you know what you're talking about? Are you experienced? And when I say that, I mean, if you're going to be a trial judge, I need to know that you have had trials before that you, I mean, the speed with which things happen in a courtroom, you have like a second to object. And then the judge has a couple of seconds to know whether or not that piece of evidence is admissible or not admissible. And the only way to kind of master that quick decision-making is to have done it before. I'm, I'm going to look at how judges sentence people. Uh, not only do I not mind mercy and second chances uh, for nonviolent crimes, I, I encourage it. But 
I I don't have a lot of patience uh, at all when it comes to violent crime. So I, you're asking me what I would look for. I would look for whether or not a judge was on the high side of fair, tough, still fair, but tough sentences in violent crime cases. I want judges to treat you know, the prosecution and the defense uh, the same way and don't lean too far in either direction. So experience, legal excellence, fairness, good courtroom demeanor. Um, and here I'm going to end with this. I mean, if we want them to be fair, because you're you're getting ready to vote on them. So if you want them to be fair, then we must be fair in how we evaluate them. And so I'll leave you with this. If a judge throws out the fruits of a search, a search warrant's issued, and the judge says, look, the the, the police just did not comply with the law on the seeking or the um, execution of the search warrant. If the judge throws that out, would we punish the judge even though he or she's doing the right thing? Or would we go tell the officer to do better next time? I mean, if a judge throws out a conviction because a prosecutor doesn't do the right thing in trial, would we punish the judge or would we punish the prosecutor? Sometimes judges have to make very, very unpopular decisions because someone else did not do his or her job. And we have, if we want fair judges, then we got to be fair in the way we evaluate them. But good luck. Um, we don't vote on, them in the South, vote on them in South Carolina, but that's what I'd be looking at if we did. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, Jeff, for your question. Our next question is from Michael in North Carolina. He writes, in a Hail Mary attempt, I hope you might impart any advice to an aspiring prosecutor. Oh, uh, Michael, it's the best job I ever had. The one I enjoyed the most professionally, the one I would do again. If I had to do it all over again. You have to know the law. But mainly, you have to know people. You have to know how to persuade people. You have to know how to interact with people that have suffered the worst thing that will ever happen to them in their lives. If they've lost a family member to a violent crime, if they've been the victim of an assault, um, you just so it's a mixture. It's a mixture of law, but also psychology and understanding how people grieve and how people process information and what persuades people. I mean, I, you know, I wrote a book on persuasion. Um, I could, I guess I could have written a book on anything I wanted to except math or science, but I picked persuasion because you have to be able to move people in life and prosecutors move the jury with their knowledge of the case, but also the way they assign weight to the evidence. I've seen prosecutors that were technically good, but they just could not read what a jury would think was most important, not what they think is most important. What is the what is the group you're trying to persuade? How do they assign value to the different pieces of evidence? You may think the confession is the most important thing in the world. You may. But a jury may be sitting there and thinking, I'm not sure about that. I'm I'm more convinced by the forensic evidence, by the scientific evidence. I'm more convinced by the motive. So can you read people? Uh, you also have to have, you know, I think a winsome personality. Uh, you have to know when to be tough on witnesses, when to, 
you know, I mean, I had a ton of moms that testified, particularly in death penalty cases. They testified for their sons who were on trial for their life. It's just stupid to beat up on a mom. Of course, a mom is going to testify for a child. Of course, a mom is going to ask the jury to spare her child's life. You don't beat up on a mom just because she's a defense witness. It's just it's it's terrible and it doesn't work in front of a jury. So, you know, you want to be a prosecutor, just understand you're going to be the only justice some people ever see, uh, whether it's a defendant, whether it's a victim, whether it's court personnel. It's just going to be you. So you got to be a person of your word. You can never be outworked. Never, ever, ever be outworked. You don't cut corners. You don't work for the cops. You don't work for the victims. You work for Lady Justice. You're a minister of justice. Um, that's who you work for. And prosecutors have incredible power to impact people's reputations and their freedom and even their lives. So you have to be a good steward of that power. Um, it's an incredible job. And most people who were prosecutors in the past will tell you, even though they left, that that was the best job they ever had. Well, that was beautifully said, Trey. And thank you, Michael, for your question. We wish you the best of luck. Our next question is from John in Nebraska. He writes, with the resignation of Senator Ben Sass, can you explain to us how senators are replaced and what a governor looks for a replacement? Well, John, that's a great question for people who may not have been following that story or may not know Senator Ben Sass. He is slated to become the new president at the University of Florida. And so before I answer your question, I do want to say a quick word about Ben. Uh, he is very, very smart. He's very well read. He's curious. He's fair minded. Um, I have really, really enjoyed being around him and still enjoy uh, talking to him from time to time, including uh, swapping texts with him last week after the news broke. He has a doctorate from Yale. He was the president of a small college before he went to the United States Senate. So, you know, that sounds like a pretty well qualified candidate to almost everyone except some folks on the left. I mean, a doctorate from Yale, a United States senator, and you've already been the president of a small college, that, that I mean, you may like him or you may not like him. But to say that someone with that resume is not qualified is just laughable. Um, but let's save that conversation for another day. You ask a more specific question. In almost every state, the governor appoints someone to fill out a portion of that term that is left. Senators have six-year terms. So the governor in almost every state will pick someone to finish out, not the whole six years, but finish out until the next general election. So if Ben resigns in December, the next general election is November of 2024. Even though Ben, in theory, his term, let's say he got elected in 2022, which means he's good until 2028. But he left. Well, he couldn't got elected in 2022 because that's this year. Let's say he got elected in 2020. His term doesn't end until 2026. You're not appointed to finish out the remainder of that six years. You are appointed until the next general election, which will be 2024 in this case. So 
What's a governor looking for? Uh, it depends. Some governors want a caretaker just to hold that seat and then allow others who want to run for it permanently or want to be, you know, in the Senate for some time, just kind of give everybody a level playing field to start with. So some governors may say, look, I'm just going to pick an elder statesperson from my state, a woman or man who's really distinguished himself or herself with public service, and they're going to hold on to the seat for two years. And that gives everyone a level playing field that wants to run for the Senate. Some governors do it that way. Some governors say, nope, I want somebody who is absolutely committed to running for this seat himself or herself. Yes, I'm giving him or her a two-year head start, but I want someone who is committed to being in the United States Senate in the long term. Some governors, um, you know, pick friends, and I don't mean that to sound terrible, but people people with whom they have a relationship. Some pick whoever they think is most likely to win the next general election and the one after that and the one after that, no matter whether they have a relationship with them or not. You know, South Carolina went through this recently. Jim DeMint left before his term was up. I think. And I don't think, I know Governor Haley was looking for someone who could run and win the next time that seat was up, not just a caretaker. She picked Tim Scott and she was right. Um, but I also, because I sat in between, I think if I'm right, I sat in between Tim Scott and a guy named Mo Cohen. And most people probably don't know Mo Cohen. He served. In the United States Senate, he was a gubernatorial pick, if memory serves me correctly, to finish out a Massachusetts Democrat senator's term. And Mo did not run in the next general election. He was a caretaker. He was someone who was going to do a good job for his state, but was not interested in the job long term. I'll throw one more at you. And it also comes from South Carolina. There was a governor who picked himself to be the U.S. senator. Uh, that did not turn out well, uh, but he picked himself. He was the governor. He picked himself. He ran the next time and lost. Now, I say most states do it that way. I did a little bit of research because I know that all 50 don't do it that way, or I thought they didn't. And in this one limited instance, I was right. There are a couple of states that do not allow the governor to make interim appointments. Um they have to have a special election to fill Senate vacancies. So the governor doesn't do it. There are states that say you have to come from the party of the person that you are replacing. In other words, if a Democrat's leaving, it's got to be a Democrat. If a Republican's leaving, it's got to be a Republican. There are, I think, a couple of states that require the governor to pick but they provide the list of candidates that he or she can pick from. So most states, the governor gets to pick. Some states, they don't, or with a caveat. But it is not for the remainder of that six years. It is until the next general election, and then the voters get to weigh in. And I hope I have not made that more complicated than it needed to be. You didn't. Thank you so much for answering it, Trey. And thank you, John, for your question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Our last question is from Deb, and she writes, I saw you on Fox and Friends. How did you decide to write this book? Well, thank you for watching Fox and Friends. Um, mm-hmm. That's a little early for me. So um, <laughs> honestly, I have no idea what I said. Uh, and I hope I wasn't in my pajamas. That, that, that's uh, If it's before noon, I make no promises. <laughs> uh, so this book is coming out in January. Um, just to take you on a quick little uh, trip down memory lane, Tim Scott and I wrote a book uh, together titled Unified about the joy and the power of pursuing unlikely friendships. And then Tim, speaking of friends, persuaded me to write a book on persuasion, how to use questions to make your case and move people and win, you know, not an argument in that sense of the word where people are really arguing, but how to win the argument in a legal sense of the word, how to how to win your case. And then honestly, I thought I was done writing nonfiction books. I mean, I love to write. I'd rather write than anything in the world. But I really thought that I would be writing a crime drama, which is, you know, kind of what I had my mind on. And then I had a chance meeting uh, with a lady that I I don't think I'd ever seen her before, but um, in the parking lot of a grocery store. And it led me to write this book. Uh, start, stay, or leave. Literally, a, a lady walked up to me and asked me if I was still the prosecutor, and I said no. And she said, you know, we thought you were good at that job. Uh, when did you leave? And I didn't want to embarrass her, uh, so I just said a little while ago. I mean, in reality, it had been 10 years. I, I left that job 10 years ago. And then she said, well, what'd you do next? And I found myself not wanting to talk about politics at all. And it's not that, you know, not that I wasn't proud to be in Congress, but it's just so divisive now. I didn't want to tell her that I went to Congress. So I just said, well, I went to work in another branch of government and I was walking away. We said goodbye. And then she yelled one more thing. She said, well, we thought you were fair. And so I got back in the truck with my wife and said, you know, that's the only thing I really want people to say about me when I'm gone. That's it. Be great if they said he was funny and fair, but you know, about 80% of the people don't think I'm funny. So let me just settle on fair. If people will say I'm fair, then that has been a life well lived. So I sat in my truck and reflected on the different decisions that we make in life and how those decisions influence what we do and who we do it with and whether we'll be remembered at all and by whom and in what way. And the fact that I was sitting in the truck with Terry was the result of a decision made in 1982. Going to law school was a decision. Becoming a prosecutor, running for office, this leaving office. I mean, life is about decisions. So how do we make the best decisions for life? How do we balance logic with emotion? Because you can't just walk around like a computer, but by the same time, token, you can't just sit there and make every decision in life based on how you feel. How do we reconcile what we love with what we're good at? I mean, we may love something, but we're just not good at it. Does that mean we should still do it to mean we should do it as a hobby, but not as a way of life? How do we tame fear? I mean, 
lot of people live in fear. How do we turn fear into an ally named caution? Who do we decide to take advice and counsel from in life? So it's a book to empower people to make the very best decisions for their lives, to picture what they want a friend or, in my case, a stranger to say about them and make sure that all the decisions we make get us closer to what what that picture is, what we want to see and hear. So it's titled Start, Stay, or Leave, The Art of Decision-Making. It comes out in January. It's available for pre-order now. It took me about a year and a half to write it. I think it's going to make you laugh. Uh, it may in spots, um, particularly talking about uh, some things from the courtroom that may make you cry. But it is definitely going to make you think and hopefully put you on the way to making the very, very best decisions for your own life. Well, we're excited to read it, Trey. Thank you for sharing about it. We'll lower your expectations, but thank you. <laughs> and I think people can go ahead and pre-order it now. Well, they can. And I, you know, you know this, Mary Langston, I, I'd rather write than anything in the world. Mm -hmm. I, public speaking's fine. It's never bothered me. Um, love being in the courtroom. But the reason I love being in the courtroom is because I had written every word that was getting ready to come out of my mouth. Writing is fun for me. And I hope this book, which will be my last nonfiction book, <laughs> I I will move to crime dramas after this. I do think we've only got one shot at this thing called life. Just one. And people can, you know, some people say, well, life consists of relationships or jobs or education or memories. I'm fine with all of that. But every one of those things is preceded by some decision that you made. Mm. So how good are you at making decisions? And I know you don't care about this because you're tied for the number one most modest person I have ever met in my <laughs> life. But I actually tell a story about you because you had a decision to make in life. So I tell a story about you in the book. So, oh goodness! It, yeah, I, I I didn't I figured that would alarm you greatly, but <laughs> um, and not to ruin the ending, but the decision turned out well for you. So I, I don't want to spoil the ending, but um, <laughs> but 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 you made the right decision and everything turned out great. But life is about decisions, so why would we not want to be really really good at making them? Well, thank oh. you for writing it, Trey. We appreciate that. And we're going to be anxiously awaiting. Wait till you read it first. You may say, give me my money back. I don't know. <laughs> You're a great writer and we'll be anxiously awaiting January. Well, don't wish your life away. It'll be here before <laughs> you know it. And I uh, hope folks like it. But mainly, um, thank you for, uh, for sending us your questions and keep mm -hmm. them coming. And hope you have a great week. And we'll see you uh, next Thursday. Y'all have a great week. Please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast on Apple Podcast or at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Trey Gowdy Podcast on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.